The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. Wake up, everyone. It's time for the Steve Noble Show, where biblical Christianity meets the everyday issues of life in your home, at work, and even in politics. Steve is an ordinary man who believes in an extraordinary God. And on his show, there's plenty of grace and lots of truth, but no sacred cows. Call Steve now at 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Or check him out online at thestevenobleshow.com. And now, here's your host, Steve Noble. Hello, everybody. Good to be back in the studio, back from Washington, D.C. And uh, just a little heads up tomorrow. I, I, I have not talked about the subject of aliens much uh, over the years I've been on the radio, but I'm going to tomorrow. I'm going to open up that conversation tomorrow because they're talking about it up in Washington, D.C., and some whistleblowers and some wild fanciful stuff going on there. Uh, but we haven't talked. We don't talk about that too much in the church environment. So tomorrow on the show, we'll talk about little green men and everything that was going on up in D.C. Where I just was. We just got back this afternoon. Uh, so thanks to Pastor Chris Connell for filling in for me on Tuesday. And then we just played a best of show yesterday, actually, with one of our friends at uh, Bob Jones University who was sharing about his cancer journey. So if you. Uh, and odds are one, we're all going to be affected by that subject in one way or another. Uh, but if you missed yesterday's show, make sure you go. You can go to the, the website. Just go to thestevenobleshow.com. And, and if you just go to the search box uh, and put in the word cancer, you'll find it. And uh, really uh, intimate, personal conversation. So that's uh, we played that best of show yesterday. Back in the studio today and then back, uh, God willing, tomorrow. One of the things in my Christian ethics class that I've been teaching for about six years now as part of Noble U with these high schoolers, uh, we do the last, I do like six classes before we get into abortion and euthanasia and war and all that kind of stuff. We do six classes basically dealing with theology and worldview, sources of authority, all kind of setting the foundation before I dive into the, t- the really hot button issues. The very last section of that uh, is called Ethics as Worship. And it's amazing when you talk to 14 or 15 or 16 year olds, what a limited understanding they have of Worship. I say I, I play word association with them, and I'll say, "Okay, tell me the first thing that comes to your mind." I say, "Worship." You say, and like seventy-five, eighty percent of them say, you know, music, songs, church. They have a very myopic view of worship. So today on Theology Thursday, we're going to uh, dive into this. Uh, when you, we're not we're not talking about worshiping, you know, your favorite sports team or the love of your life or your pet or your house or your dog, whatever the case may be. Uh, we're talking about the transcendent God of the universe. And so Dr. Ken Casillas is back with us from BJU Seminary. Last time, uh, Ken, welcome back, by the way. Last time we talked about the Old Testament law, and now we're going to talk about worship in the Old Testament, specific to uh, Exodus chapter 20. And and I think a lot of us think of worship, Ken, in the Old Testament and go, well, yeah, that was like the, the ceremonial stuff. I don't know that that has anything to do with us today. So we'll we'll unpack this. But thanks a lot for being here. It's good to see you again. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So are we, I think we're kind of tracking along there. When you, when you think of worship and you look in the Old Testament, we're thinking, oh, yeah, that was the Old Testament Jewish nation, and they had all the ceremonies and all the feasts and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so how do we kind of just generally understand getting our feet wet thinking about worship here in the Old Testament, specifically in the book of Exodus? Yeah, so this isn't about expecting that we're going to keep all these details of the ceremonies that they had to keep. And uh, we understand we're under the New Covenant the New Testament is not as pres- prescriptive on the technicalities of worship, and yet we recognize that that the Old Testament, even the law, is still part of our Bible. 
And so it continues to speak to us by way of teaching us about the character of the God that we're worshiping and teaching us at least general principles and patterns that actually do apply in the New Testament and that we, we see reflected in the New Testament as well. And so we want to come to this with, with an open mind and, and recognize that it's the same God in both Testaments and that if he is stating things that are general about what is glorifying to him, then that's going to have a bearing on, on how we think about worship today. Yeah, because we've got a uh, testament, we have worship from a 30,000 foot view and where it generally applies. And one thing you have to understand about the Old Testament, yes, there are some things that you can leave there, but there's a lot of other things that carry through, things that are that are general principles and generally true. And and worship is certainly one of those things. And it's uh, the, the reality of this is, is worship, I think we think of it as kind of a an end result, not maybe not necessarily foundational. Does that make sense? Yep, yep. Now that's true. And and uh, as I was looking at this passage and preparing to preach it, one of the things that struck me is that that we're getting into a part of the law after the Ten Commandments that's called the Covenant Code or the Book of the Covenant. And it gets into the weeds about all kinds of things uh, in the area of justice and slavery and and all kinds of nuances of, of, of the life of Israel. But at the beginning and at the end, it's actually about worship. In other words, worship is like the envelope for the whole thing. Mm. And that gives you a way to think about ethics that that is the, the worship and our, our view of God, our worship of him is foundational. And it's his character that then is reflected in the details of what what we what we see in, in the ethics part. Yeah. So God in this in this circumstance, talking about worship, would not make a very good 21st century American where it's just like, do whatever you want, Ken. <laughs> you do you, I'll do me. It's fine. I mean, he actually uh, tells us how he wants to be worshipped, doesn't he? Yeah, exactly. And and that's one of the other uh, general principles I pulled out of here is that he doesn't leave it to their imagination. He doesn't leave it to their culture. And in fact, the culture of that day had a very, uh, very worked out practice of what, what worship was like and how it was done. And it was terrible, actually. <laughs> and the Lord, the Lord doesn't want them to have anything to do with that. And so he lays the groundwork by just getting into these, these particulars about exactly what and what not, what was not supposed to go on in worship. And uh, there is something called the regulative principle of worship, which is basically just a way of saying, look, God is the one we're worshiping. He's the one who gets to determine what it is that we do. It's not about our own creativity fundamentally. Mm, yeah. We need to look at what he expresses that is honoring to him. Yeah, and I think oftentimes we might think of worship as our own personal way of saying something about God. But that ignores what you're talking about and what we're going to spend the rest of the show talking about, which we'll break down into kind of three main areas when we look at the characteristics of worship that uh, – God has set up one being exclusivity. That, that's an interesting one to talk about, as well as simplicity. And then we'll finish with purity and then we'll do a conclusion at the end of the show. So uh, there's a lot to work through here when we consider worship, uh, not just from a New Testament 21st century perspective, but from an overall biblical perspective. So a lot to work through here. This is a great topic. This is one that I think uh, we are most of us are probably in the shallow of the end of the pool on this one. But there's a whole lot of work to do in the deep end of the pool, so we'll go there when we come back with Dr. Ken Casillas. It's Theology Thursday with our friends at BG Seminary. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. It's Steve Noble, the Steve Noble Show Theology Thursday with our friends at BJU Seminary. Dr. Ken Casillas back in the house today. Uh, and we're unpacking uh, worship or looking into Exodus chapter 20, uh, where you, you think Old Testament, you think uh, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, uh, it's not really for us today. Uh, oh, except, you know, the Ten Commandments, that's in there. We should probably pay attention to that. Uh, but but all the other Old Testament laws and the prescriptions on worship and ceremonial stuff, that that's not really for us. Uh, but uh, but there are principles there, and that's what Ken was talking about before the break, uh, that we need to be paying attention to. Worship isn't your own personal uh, playground where you just, uh, you do you and I do me, and that's the 21st century way of worshiping God. Or as, or as Homer Simpson once said, can I just worship the Lord in my own way? Uh, not necessarily. Uh, and, and God has spoken on this one. So we're going to go through these three different areas with Ken. Uh, exclusivity, simplicity, and then purity. So does our worship align with these things? Uh, and, and this is an important topic because, like you said, Ken, this is foundational. Yeah, I mean, this is literally the first thing after the Ten Commandments. So we're not really that far away right. from those. Yeah. And basically the people tell Moses, you go up and get the rest of the law. God says, all right, well, we're going to work through him. He's the mediator. And this is the first thing God tells Moses. So it's it's the beginning. It's the starting point for everything else. Yeah. So, so let's start with this first point, exclusivity, which I think uh, most of us go, well, yeah, of course, uh, we're only going to worship the Lord. Uh, so help us understand this because it, it sounds basic but it really isn't. Right. So uh, this is from uh, Exodus 20 and verse 22 says, this is God talking. You've seen for yourselves that I've talked to you, uh, with you from heaven and everything flows from that. In other words, when I spoke to you, you just heard a voice. You didn't see anything. And yes, there were all these kind of revelations of my character and the, 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 the mountain was on fire and everything, but you didn't see an actual image that represented me. And that speaks to God's transcendence, and he flows right from that into verse 23. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. Which is interesting that he would put that in there, because he would actually already said that. He said it in the first two of the Ten Commandments. But evidently, he, he decided this really needs emphasis, and the reason was that these people lived in a, in a culture that was just permeated with idols and with images of all kinds of different gods. And he's hammering the point, no, I'm the only one, and you cannot represent even me through something that's just out of your own head. And just to make a couple of points about that, the way he words it here, he says, uh, don't make gods of silver to be with me. Mm -hmm. In other words, when you do that, even if it's an image of God himself, you're putting that idol on the same level, and you're, you're introducing a competition between the two. And then he says... Uh, don't make gods of gold for yourselves. And and the idea is, is that when you do that, you're actually doing it more for your benefit right. than for my benefit. And that is turn worship upside down. And so that that's the, the, the basic idea there in Exodus. And I, I tie that to Romans 1, where God says, look, here's how idolatry started. People knew of the real God from creation. And, and they still had this urge to worship him, but they didn't want to go all the way and just surrender their lives to him. So what they did was they found some way to satisfy this worship uh, instinct, but to put it down on their level in a way that they could manage, in a way that they could control and man manipulate. And that opened the door for all the sin that Paul then lists out there in Romans chapter 1. 
Yeah. So on the on on this point on exclusivity, uh, where do you see us kind of challenged with this one in the modern context? Just you know, we again, I mentioned this before. We think of worship, and most people are going to church with their mind. They're going into the worship service, and they're right. thinking about worshiping the Lord. Uh, what are some of the challenges that that we face? Because I think this one can be a little sneaky, because you're in there going, "Well, I'm I'm singing praises to the Lord, so I'm that's exclusive, but not right. not necessarily." Right, right, all right. So let me talk about two things. One is more on like the the theological part in the in the New Testament. Um, at the end of First John, right at the very end of the epistle, he says, "Keep yourselves from idols." And what he's talking about there is the subject in 1 John, that there are all these false ideas about Christ and who he is and what his salvation is. And and depending on what church people may be attending, Mm -hmm. even when they're using the name Jesus, it may actually be a false Christ that they're worshiping. If it's not a Christ who is fully God and fully man and who saved us by by means of his blood atonement and, and by grace alone. So we have to get the gospel straight as part of defining who the real God is, and to the to the degree that we're actually not, our theology is not in keeping with what the New Testament says. We're actually worshiping an idol, even if the idol is called Jesus. Right. Okay. So there, there are false Christs out there. But then on a more practical level, uh, maybe this is more what you're thinking of. When people walk out the door and enter their their daily lives, and what really drives them, and what what it is that determines their their values their decisions a lot of times it isn't with the concern for glorifying god first and for example you have in the new testament paul says that covetousness mm-hmm. is a form of idolatry uh you know we might even be able to say in our setting the american dream could be a form of idolatry oh absolutely you know where we are yes maybe tipping our hat to god on the lord's day but throughout the week what really is our priority is something else and at that point, even if we don't have a physical image, functionally speaking, yeah. we've turned our stuff and our lifestyle into a God. Yeah, on that point, it reminds me of uh, Francis Chan when he stepped down from running his large church out in California. Uh, the big thing that kind of the Lord hit him over the head with is that it was growing and growing and 5,000 people are coming. Uh, but Francis was convinced that those people were mostly coming there to see and hear him. And, and, oh, yeah, of course he's preaching about, but, man, Francis is so good, and Francis this, and Francis that. Yeah. And and now you've got to, you know, and that, that I'm, I'm not going to judge an individual sitting in that church as to whether they're actually violating this notion of exclusivity. But functionally, that, I think a lot of, of us can struggle with that. You, you, I love the church. I love our pastor, blah, 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 blah. Uh, well, what if your pastor was just, uh, I don't know, mediocre, just right. a mediocre speaker, a mediocre right. preacher? Would you get as excited? And that's where I think we kind of flirt there with what we're talking about here. Exclusivity is our worship can kind of get misdirected. Uh, Yes, of course, it's about God, but there's somebody in between us and God. Maybe it's the pastor. Maybe it's uh, the the worship team. I don't know. But but I think that's a challenge. Yeah, I mean, even we talk about celebrity pastors. Sure. So we're bringing in that language of somebody who's our idol almost into the Mm -hmm. church. And, and, And often it is these big name people. And uh, that, that's a great point, that even while you're inside a church building worshiping, your mind may be on somebody else other than the Lord. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, and, and we're not going to go down this road, but uh, emotionalism, we'll talk about this when we get into simplicity. 
But again, uh, are you are you getting caught up on on a Sunday? Are you getting caught up in the incredible quality of the music if you go to a big church with great talented musicians uh or if it's just an organ in a hymnal and you go eh, okay <laughs> we're, we're, you're kind of flirting around with where we're going today as we unpack uh worship in exodus 20 we're talking to dr ken casillas bju seminary we'll talk about simplicity when we come back as well as purity lots of things to talk about and learn we'll be right back While most Christian teens respect the Bible, research shows few of them think it's relevant. But in our chaotic world, we need to have a biblical worldview and know how to apply it to every topic and in every field. That's what 9th through 12th graders will explore for a week in July at Bob Jones University's Worldview EduCamp. There they will be able to get biblical answers to today's toughest questions, engage culture biblically through real-world experiences, Explore worldview from Christian experts in multiple fields and develop worldview thinking skills for college and beyond. Don't wait. Teens find themselves between secular and biblical worldviews. Set them on a path to a truly biblical worldview. Learn more at educamp.bju.edu. Welcome back. It's Steve Noble, the Steve Noble Show Theology Thursday, as it is every week with our friends at BJU Seminary today with Dr. Ken Casillas, uh, kind of walking through what the Old Testament teaches us about worship, setting aside ceremonial things and the stuff that was just for them at that time. That's where you have to understand uh, if and when, and hopefully you do study the Old Testament. There's a lot of meat there for us New Testament Christians. Uh, there are some things that you study just to understand the system and things that were put in place in the Old Testament. And then there are certain things that, from a practical standpoint, you leave there in the Old Testament. And there's other things that you bring forward uh, that never go away. So worship is something that I think most of us would categorize that as, uh, well, in the Old Testament, that's specific to the Jews of the day, God's chosen people. That's not so much what it is today. Today we have Hillsong or whatever, uh, and you limit your understanding of worship. So we're working through this with Ken today. And we were talking about kind of looking at these three main areas. We talked about uh, the exclusivity, which we just finished, and, and now simplicity, uh, which is important because, again, God was not silent when it comes to worship. It wasn't just, hey, you guys, knock yourselves out as long as you're talking about me. Uh, but what, what do we understand here about simplicity, Ken? All right. So you get some unusual laws in verses 24 and 25. He says, an altar of earth you shall make for me. And he tells him to sacrifice there. He says, if you do make an altar of stone, build it, uh, don't build it of hewn stones, for if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. All right. So this speaks to the practice that had gone on all the, all the time before the law, where when people had a high spiritual point or when the Lord commanded, they would build an altar. So I got a list here of stories like that. Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses who did this. And even after the tabernacle was set up, but before the temple came around, mm -hmm. Uh, this kind of thing went on as well. And Deuteronomy 12 said that once God set aside a specific place as the central place of worship, they weren't supposed to do this anymore at all. But there was a pretty long period there before that happened where altars were permitted. And so here the Lord is telling them what kind of altar to make. Okay. Um, we could, we could speak of the background here almost like some of the original 
warship wars that we talk about today. Yeah. Because in that day, there were these pagan ideas, and a lot of it had to do with what was constructed at their worship site and making just a really impressive visual statement that would somehow speak to the greatness of their God. And God says, I want you to do it differently. It needs to be simple. It needs to just be a pile of dirt, really. And if you do use stones, don't don't um, plane them down or decorate them. Just pick them up out of the field and put together a sort of a rough, rough sort of an altar. And and that might seem like it's going against God being great. Right. But but the Lord knew that if they got too much into all of this creativity and their own ideas about what this should look like, then it could easily get distracted from actual worship of him and his character as the transcendent God. So that's the principle there, right? Yeah, which makes is, sense. Yeah, and then we go, which is interesting because there's a big transition here. We go from simplicity uh, and either make your altar out of stones, don't fix the stones, don't plane them down, don't get them all pretty. And then you go from the tabernacle to the temple. And the temple right. is like the exact opposite. I mean, it's right. just unbelievable levels of craftsmanship. So what changed there? Well, I would say the issue there is that that was all under the direction of God. In other words, he laid out in detail uh, the rooms of the tabernacle, the furniture that went in there. And basically the temple was uh, was overseen by Solomon and David just as a uh, sort of a variation on the theme of the tabernacle. Yeah. So they were just implementing further what the Lord himself had stated where this was just random people out there worshiping. The Lord says, don't get into your own ideas about, about what to do. So there's kind of a tension there because, you know, there can be a visual element if God himself directs it. Uh, but if we ourselves are injecting too much of our own creativity, it can easily get, get off track. Yeah. So when we look at, uh, you know, you push forward a few hundred years after Jesus's ascension and then, you know, you go to Europe and even here in America, we go to Europe and, and the uh, churches are just soaring in their architecture and all point, you know, that the whole point was that, uh, listen, we serve the God, of the, uh, the creator of the universe. And so things need to kind of point in that direction. Uh, do we do we struggle with that today? Because, you know, some churches are really simple. They still have a steeple. They still have a pulpit. Other no. churches look like, you know, a mall. But is that how, how do we kind of. <laughs> How do we kind of maintain simplicity in our worship despite high tech everything for the most part? Yeah, yeah. Well, I would say when Jesus talked to the um, the woman at the well, mm. he was de-emphasizing the visual right. and the geographical, and that it was a, a spiritual thing, and that it was about he is the temple. Jesus is the temple. Okay. Now there isn't a uh, some kind of prohibition in the New Testament against buildings or fancy buildings, right? But I still think we had to learn something from the back, fact that the New Testament doesn't say anything about buildings at all. They would meet in homes, and they would they would do things that to us would look pretty ordinary. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now I've been in all kinds of mission fields where, uh, frankly, in these very humble settings out in the middle of nowhere, in some you know mud mud brick building, yeah. I felt like the worship was more sincere mm -hmm. and meaningful. Than, than, than all this stuff that we do in our country that's all about the wow factor. Right, exactly. It's all about making this as impressive as possible as possible, and drawing people in for some kind of, you know, almost like out-of-body experience right, right. that is so high, highly pumped up. Yeah. You know, to me, from a church leadership standpoint, when, when you get into that mode, it's like 
the, the, the worship leaders are always having to think of, you know, how can we make it more impactful next time? Mm-hmm. How can we make it more amazing next time with lights or, or music or whatever? And, and there again, I think we're, we're starting to get off track yeah. as to what the point is. Yeah. And, and which reminds me of the first time I went to Kenya on a mission trip, this is way back in, I think, 2002. Uh, I ended up that Sunday, they were uh, dedicating a new church which was somebody had just set aside part of their uh, little farm, which was a big deal because they're taking it out of production. And literally that Sunday when we went there, uh, they just had cleared an area. This is in Kenya, out in the bush. And they had built these little um, benches basically out of stumps and then something across the top. And they had some big leaves laying around. And that was their church. And I oh. I, I came back and, and shared that, that we came back on a Saturday and they were – silly enough to put me in the pulpit on Sunday to share. And, you know, you're all jacked up from coming back from a mission trip. And I was like looking at my big steeple Southern Baptist church and the nice pews and everything else. And I'm like, I actually think the church that I, the quote unquote church I worshiped in back in Kenya was more spectacular than this because it wasn't about any of this stuff. It was all about the Lord. Exactly. Right. No, that's a great example. Great example. And I think if you look at, at church history, there's kind of a, kind of a progression where uh, the the historical origin of at least some of our, depending on what your denomination is, mm-hmm. if it goes back to the Puritans and, and the separatists, that was one of the shifts they were making away from this high church right. idea. Yep. Not that they were throwing everything out, but there was so much of the visual glory of mm-hmm. it that, that they said is added to the worship of God and gets our attention off of him. Yeah. Yeah, and if you want an uncomfortable read, jump into the book of Amos because there's one part in Amos when he's like, essentially right. the visual is God sticking his fingers in his ears while we're singing uh, praise music on a Sunday, and he's like, your uh, your praise and worship makes me sick. You need to understand that. That's why this topic today is so important. Let's set up purity, and then we'll talk. We'll we'll unpack that in the last segment and do a conclusion. But let's jump into that one. Just generally, just a quick setup, Ken, of, of purity when it comes to worship. Okay, so this is the the kind of strangest verse here. It says, and you shall not go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness be not exposed. (laughs) All right, so these altars weren't supposed to be high off the ground that required climbing up steps. Mm. And he says the reason is that your nakedness be not exposed. Now, actually, later in the law, when the Lord sets up the tabernacle, he gives instructions for what the priest's uh, were supposed to wear, and he actually gets down to the level of their undergarments and dictates some details there. And you're like, why would why would God have to get into this? Well, the reason is, again, understanding the culture of the day, that this pagan worship was was all about uh, about what we call it's called imitative magic. Mm-hmm. Their theology was such that they thought that that the productivity or fertility of the earth was the product of sexual relations among the gods. And so the way to get their attention was by all of this immorality down here. And if that stimulated them and they got involved, then it would rain and our crops would grow and this sort of thing. And so there was all kinds of, you know, nakedness and immorality Temple and prostitution that went on that in, that, in that context. Yeah. Yeah. Such a powerful point. And in that, and that's where we used to go, okay, uh, the purity of it, how do we kind of move that from uh, a pretty frank example and, and a reality in the Old Testament to the New Testament to the 21st century? We'll do that, finish up talking about purity, and then we'll have some conclusions, draw some conclusions about how we approach worship 
as individual Christians here in the 21st century. We're talking to Ken Casillas. This is Steve Noble. It is Theology Thursday with our friends at BJU Seminary. Don't go anywhere. Really important conversation. We'll be right back. Welcome back. It's Steve Noble, The Steve Noble Show, Theology Thursday with our friends at BJU Seminary. Dr. Ken Casillas back in the house today talking about worship and uh, understanding this from an Old Testament perspective where God actually has a lot to say about what our worship should be. So we've been talking about the exclusivity of our worship, which sometimes we can get off there, off track, and then the simplicity of our worship. And these are all questions that we have to wrestle with when you're in church this Sunday uh, and then outside of that, because worship is really a 24-7 thing, uh, do you, are, are we kind of moving in the direction where we're complying with what the Lord has told us about this? Exclusivity, simplicity, and then purity. So how, how does the purity of our worship, how do we kind of, what are some pitfalls, perhaps, Ken, that, that we struggle with in the 21st century when it comes to that question, is our worship pure? All right, so based on that verse about the nakedness and so forth, I, I just summarize it this way. Nothing should be allowed to turn worship into an occasion mm. to appeal to or to satisfy inappropriate desires, right? God was trying to protect his people from these public gatherings becoming an occasion for the flesh, right? And actually, we have New Testament verses that get to the same point. Romans 13, Paul said, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Mm. Or another verse I've got here, Ephesians 5, 3 but among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Now, we, we hopefully are applying that outside of church in terms of what we're exposing ourselves to or how we're interacting with our culture. But, but what we're saying here is that that actually applies even when we're gathered together, yeah. right? And so this is not something that I think we can give a lot of rules about or a lot of specifics that are going to apply across the board in every situation. But I would just encourage all of us to, to be asking questions, right? So, for example, even, even on something as specific as dress, you know, there's a lot of debate about dressing up for church. Sure. It should be a formal occasion. I'm not talking about that. Uh, I'm talking about something like this. Is the way I'm dressing likely to put an undue attention on myself and away from the Lord? Is it likely to encourage impure thoughts or more on the positive side, what can I do to encourage an atmosphere of purity? Yeah. And again, I'm not going to legislate details of what that should look like. I think that's where our, our discernment comes in, our conscience comes in, but just being aware there are other people here. And to be honest with you, there, there have been times when, I've gotten comments from individuals, guys in the church, who are saying, look, I have, to, I have to battle my thoughts all day long, and it's not that it's all the woman's fault. Right, of course. But I, but I have to battle my own thoughts, and I would, you know, I would hope that when I come to church, I wouldn't have to face yeah. that sort of thing to the same level. We should all dial and it that's down. That's what we're saying here. Right, right. And that can be, you know, obviously, obvious topics there for women, uh, but for men, too, I mean— Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna wear a flashy tie, or I'm gonna wear some crazy socks, or I'm gonna wear uh, these really cool Converse or these really cool Nike Air Jordans. Right. And and as soon as you're yeah, that's where you have to be willing to look in the mirror. And uh, like David said, uh, uh, 
that he's always aware of his sin. My sin is ever before me. To go, is, is there anything I'm doing that uh, I can question my my motivation here? I would I would throw hand raising in here on a personal level, uh, because some people, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna wave my hands. I'm gonna lift my hands to the Lord, and uh, you have to check your flesh to make sure that there's no motivation in there that maybe saying, well, maybe other people in church will really see that I'm really serious about my worship. Right. Right. Well, no, I think that's a good example. You're talking about yourself, but the other, and I struggle with this one, Ken, I'm like, well, I, I really wanted to lift my hands in worship, but if I do, uh, in the church we were in at the time, then that's going to bring undue attention to myself. And I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm still right. thinking about myself. I'm just doing it on the opposite side of the coin as opposed right. to just, I'm going to do, I'm, it's just me and the Lord here. Okay. Yeah, exactly. No, I think that's, that's a good, application when i say undue attention it could come out in a lot of different ways mm-hmm. even our effort to you know dress up for church may be well motivated right right we're gonna have kind of an elevated atmosphere but i mean we got to admit that whether guy or girl there are things we do just to look look sharp sure get people to notice us yeah and uh you know at what point does, what does that have to do with worship? Right, that's right. not what this is about. Right, right. Yeah. So, so when, like p- picking your outfit for this Sunday, again, uh, am I, am I, hey, this is, a, this is a really nice outfit. And then maybe somebody will say, hey, that is that new? Blah, blah, blah. Okay. I would say at that point, you're, you're into this environment here where maybe your motivation yeah. isn't, I'm going to give my best to the Lord. Your motivation might actually be a little bit, I'm going to give my best to the audience. Now you got a problem. Right. 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 That, that and I think that's a question that people who are in leadership especially need to mm. consider in terms of what goes on uh, on the platform. Yeah. In terms of what we are portraying to people. Right. At what point has this turned into a performance? At what point has this turned into something that can even be sensual in the way people are singing, in the way that they're presenting themselves? Yeah. Uh, I think this principle, you know, could come to bear on that as well. Yeah. I think those are all great points. And again, this isn't to uh, stray into legalism. It isn't to try to uh, be able to pass judgment on somebody's motivation. Uh, I I find, Ken, that the older I get in Christ, the less time I spend thinking about other people's sin and the more time I think about my own. (laughs) No, that's great. That's a great Which I think uh, is the whole, hey, Steve, you might want to spend a little more time on your plank than Ken's uh, splinter. Uh, Okay. Right. I'm with right. you there. So, so what yeah. are some just based on when you when you were preaching on this in church and just our discussion today, Ken? Uh, what would be your hope, just in terms of some some takeaways for us in general as a conclusion as we've uh, been discussing worship today? Well, I think that worship, if you've known the Lord for a while and you're regularly going to, to a church service, it really can turn into a routine where you're not engaged on a heart level. Mm-hmm. And even though these, these these verses here have had to do with uh, kind of the externals or the forms, yeah. right? Which matter to the Lord. Sure. Uh, the reality is we can have all our ducks in a row that way, but are just doing it with a heart that is still thinking about ourselves yeah. and just going through the motions. And so it all comes back to our vision of God, right? This whole thing has been about worshiping God in a way that's fitting with his transcendence. And so I would challenge people to be be thinking about both. Both the heart and the externals are involved in, in terms of biblical worship. Uh, but then... I would also bring out that the passage, when it's describing these altars, uh, what are these altars for? The altars are for offering sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And we understand that those were laying a foundation for the sacrifice that Christ would offer one day, especially the burnt offering, is is one that has to do with atonement. And, and, And that our worship has to be oriented to 
Christ and his work for us, everything is funneled through that. And ultimately, uh, that is how we worship. It is it is through him. So we need to make sure that our worship is intentionally Christ-centered and is, is building off the foundation uh, of the gospel. And it's just, I found this, even though it's kind of a, a, an odd passage to us, maybe, I found it so encouraging that when the Lord was giving all these rules, you know, you can call them rules if you want to, but, but what's the point? He says, in every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. Mm-hmm. So we are receiving a blessing from the worship. Uh, if we if we initially can get our minds off of ourselves and focus yeah. them on the Lord, what we find is that as we approach the Lord the way that he wants, it is going to have this, this ministry back to us where he's going to manifest his presence and his his blessing to us. So... Uh, that was a that was a great takeaway also. Yeah, that, that that's really powerful. And again, I, I would go back to the first thing you just said, which is uh, routine. And I think a lot of us uh, can fall into that. And, and you, sometimes you just have to work through that. And, and just again, um, like James talks about, we talked about that with Sam. Uh, you know, you look in the mirror and you go, OK, maybe there's something here. And then a couple of minutes later, whatever. That was then. This is now. It's got to be careful with yeah. that. And then the whole the, the whole notion about sacrifice and Christ centered uh, I've often said this before, Ken, I, I tell this with my own students. I'm like, all right, here's the deal. Cause they're all teenagers. I'm like, you get married. And as soon as my wife said, yes, uh, I told everybody. And then you get married. Of course you tell everybody. And then the first anniversary, that's a big deal. You tell everybody, uh, first couple, fifth anniversary, the 10th, that that's a big deal. 10, 13, you know, whatever, uh, 15, 17, 20, 25, you got to go to Hawaii or whatever. And, and, and you do kind of, you, I, the phrase I use is you kind of get over it. And it's mm-hmm. not quite as thrilling as it once was. Uh, and then I think the same thing can happen to us as we just consider our salvation. You know, it becomes, oh, it becomes anniversary number uh, 12 and there's not right. a special name for it. And you just kind of yeah. get over it. And I think we have to, at least for myself with worship, I'm like, am I, am I kind of over my salvation? Because mm-hmm. I don't think we ever should be. Yeah. Well, you know, you got the whole book of Hebrews has taken all this stuff about the Old Testament. Yeah. And using it to speak to us of Christ. And and if there's any book in the New Testament that has to do with worship, it is Hebrews. And it talks about approaching the throne of grace through Christ. And, you know, we got to find ways to just keep keep coming back to that, getting deeper into it, and, and really refreshing our own perspective of, of the gospel. Yeah, I think that's such a great point and, and study, which is something you have to do on purpose. I think we all have to battle complacency. We battle distraction. And worship is something that's an ongoing effort. Uh, and uh, is Christ worth it? Of course, we all know the Sunday school answer, but does that bear out in our everyday lives with the way we worship the Lord and all that you say, think, and do? What a great conversation. Such a great topic. Ken, thanks again for your time, as always. And uh, it's just been a great blessing. I appreciate that. And then we'll definitely get back sometime this fall to talk about what you're teaching with respect to creationism. I'd love to do that. All right, great. Thank you. You're welcome. Stay right there. We'll pray together. And then I'll be All back right. tomorrow. Get ready, everybody. I don't I don't know that I've ever done a whole show on aliens, little green men, alien life. You know I like sci-fi, but how far do you take it? We'll talk about that tomorrow. This is Steve Noble on the Steve Noble Show. God willing, I'll talk to you again real soon. And like my dad always used to say, ever forward. Another program powered by the Truth Network.